All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk. Last week, we were kind of unable to record an episode due to player striking and things of that such nature, so I kind of felt bad, so I figured why not try and slide in an extra episode this week. This episode has been definitely pending for a pretty long time, and it initially initially was scheduled to be a college football, Michigan, Ohio State, Big Ten, whatever you want to call it, preview episode with a good buddy of mine. I'm going to introduce him now. I call him Yao. For those of you that don't know him, it's Dan. Dan, how are you, sir? Oh, good, man. Glad to be here. Glad that we finally got to do this. But uh, it is very unfortunate that we are not talking uh, preseason football in general. (laughs) But uh, nice to talk college football in in general. Yeah, so kind of what we're going to do today is we're just going to talk some generic topics, college football related. And you're going to get my view, you're going to get Yao's view, and we're going to go from there. Uh, For those of you that do not know, Yao is a Michigan fan. I'm a Michigan fan. Um, Probably opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to Michigan fandom. Uh, Me, more of the optimistic, we have a shot to win the Natty every year. (laughs) Yao is definitely on the complete, utter opposite of that in the more realistic. So. Let's go ahead and start you off with 10 rapid questions. We do this for pretty much everybody that's uh, first time on the pod. Get a, okay. get to introduce you here. So question number one, what's your favorite beer? My favorite beer? It's, I guess it depends on the season, but if we're just talk, talking Monday through Friday, it's Budweiser. Cans. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite food? Dude, uh, probably pizza. Pizza. Pizza's amazing. What's your favorite fast food? Uh, probably Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. All right. What have you been listening to lately? What's, uh, what's, what kind of music you've been putting in? What do people need to know about? Well, I'm, uh, I'm a bit of uh, a metalhead. And if uh, you are out there and you're looking for a pure rock and roll band that is just completely, I don't know, wholesome, I want to say that, but Royal Tusk, the boys are out of Edmonton, Edmonton, Canada. Um, but yeah, Royal Tusk for sure. Who is your favorite athlete? Let's go. Let's start off with all time. My favorite athlete all time, no matter what sport. Yes. Uh, it's going to have to go with an easy one here. I probably just have to say Seawood, Charles Woodson. Okay. What about currently? Currently? Oh, man. I think currently, I don't know if I have a, a current one, honestly. When it comes to college, when it comes with Michigan, you know, football, usually I have a, always a favorite year in, year out. I don't really have a favorite Michigan player right now for the, you know, I'm a Raider fan. Um, I say, I guess another easy one like Josh Jacobs, but as of right now, I just don't really have a favorite. Okay. Uh, you, you just mentioned the Raiders. You're a Raider fan. So obviously it's so easy to say Pat Mahomes, but if you could add anybody to the Raiders right now, who do you think you would want to add? Um. I would probably, I mean, I don't know. Uh, people harp on uh, Derek Carr a lot. Uh, but quarterback-wise, if I could add anybody, man, it would, I'd, I'd probably take Pat Mahomes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Got to be okay. Pat Mahomes. Okay. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but let's get the audience involved. Hockey or basketball? Which one do you prefer? Uh, well, uh, hockey. And uh, let, me, let me say this. I, like... Playoff basketball, 
rather than the regular season, and I like collegiate hockey more than the NHL, but hockey, hands down. Okay. Who do you hate more, Michigan State or Ohio State? I also think I know the answer to this, but... Michigan State. Okay. Is that what you're thinking? It was. I I knew that. (laughs) Which brings me to my last question. Why are you a closet Ohio State fan? Wow, what a troll at the end there. What a troll. And Jeff is, Jeff is referring to this because I have gotten my picture and autograph with Archie Griffin, okay? And my favorite colors just happen to be black and red. So uh, it's just, I'm in a rock and a hard place, man. Yeah, I get it. I get it. We're going to talk about your Ohio State fandom right from the get here. That's awesome. And I think that this is what people need to hear, especially from us Michigan fans and you know, somebody that's typically pretty optimistic, and every year I think we have a chance to win the Natty and beat Ohio State and all that sugary good stuff. What is your take on the current state of Ohio State-Michigan football rivalry? Well, where to begin, man? So, I mean, this could go on forever, really, but to keep it, try to short, shorten it out as possible. But uh, I have to say this. Since Jim Harbaugh's taken over as head coach, so 2015 till now, uh, the gap between the schools is in my opinion, farther, greater, wider than it was when he took over the job. Um, part of that was, or part of that is because Urban Meyer at the tail end and Ryan Day, his, they've just taken to the next level. Uh, a lot of it has to come down to recruiting and uh, Michigan not being able to beat them. Um, you know, you and I, you and I have had this conversation before, you know, you know, Jim Harbaugh is an interesting, interesting character because so much is against him. And his detractors also support him in, in, in a sense. But the rivalry, man, Michigan, in order to, to, to close the gap, is just simple enough to, to win on the football field. And when you look at home or away, Michigan hasn't beaten Ohio State in Columbus since Jesus, since, you know, George W. Bush was in office. I mean, probably Bill Clinton, actually. It was like, what, 2001, 2002? I, uh, I, I want to say... I want to say it was 1990. Didn't Brady do it? I think Brady was the last one. John Navarre. Oh, John Navarre. That's right. John Navarre did. John Navarre. Okay. But, but they got to beat him on the field. And, you know, before 2018, 2019, okay, so 20, 2018 and 2019, it was clear that Ohio State was just a lot better and they kicked the hell out of Michigan on the field. But I can make an argument that, especially in the Jim Harbaugh years, that it's come down to quarterback play. Now, I know the scores in some games look a little inflated than the others, but when you look at the matchup, the glaring weakness on Michigan's side is quarterback play. And the funny thing, again, about Jim Harbaugh is is a lot of his detractors and even his supporters call him the quarterback whisperer. And he's never called himself the quarterback whisperer. And the one thing he has not done at Michigan is have a quarterback. You know, he's always relied on the transfer portal. You know, Shea Patterson, I give – a lot of credit to Shea Patterson for his continued effort or on the field, off the field. He was a he was a grinder. He was I mean, he gave his he gave it his all, but he wasn't really that great. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh's best players had, were Brady Hoax guys, in my opinion. A lot of Brady Hoax guys were in the NFL because of Jim Harbaugh, whether they aren't in the NFL anymore, like Taco Charlton, but Jim Harbaugh put him there. And uh, Jim Harbaugh's at a spot right now where the honeymoon phase is over and, I mean, long gone. So the recruiting aspect is only going to get better if he can give Ohio State the L. And if this game 
was playing in Columbus on a non-COVID season, it's probably going to be another loss. I mean, they're at a t- they're at a time right now where it's ten and three until you can prove otherwise. I guess a couple things I want to note here. So we brought up rec- you brought up recruiting, and that it can't be dismissed. So over the last five years, we're looking from 2019, 2018, 2017, 2016, and 2015. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ohio State of those five years, their their five year average ranking is 5.8, which includes a second place class twice. Okay. And three top five classes. Last year was kind of a fluke for them. They only they came in 14th, which is their lowest in the five years. But you could also equate that to a couple things. A, they lost Urban Meyer. B, they actually recruited a far fewer amount of players than they have in the past. Right. So Michigan, over the last five years, okay, this is this is rough. 15.4 is their average their average ranking, which includes a 38th, a fifth, a fifth, a 21st. And last year in eighth, the rec- the recruiting is literally the gap is so large. The players on the field opposite of Michigan playing for Ohio State are just far and away better, period. And last year, they I mean, they, they finished their season up playing against Alabama. Yeah. And they punched Alabama in the mouth. Actually, Alabama punched them in the mouth. They then returned a punch in the mouth. And it seemed like they were going to have a competitive game. Listen to the, Alabama's last five years. First, 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 seventh, and first. <laughs> Their average is 2.2. They hung with Alabama. Yeah. I, the, just, the thing is, is Harbaugh gets, I personally believe that Harbaugh gets a little bit too much criticism. And here, I guess here's why. If Alabama, or I'm sorry, if LSU every year was being judged solely on how they play against Alabama, they would be firing their coach every single year, yeah. Because they don't beat Alabama every year. It's it's now, mind you, they haven't had a ten year drought twice in the last twenty years, but yeah. it's still that point of view. It's just like we're we're comparing ourselves to a team that's far and away better. Just yeah. Period. Point blank. Now, should there be more competitive scores? Yes. Should they be more competitive in the fourth quarter, like we have a chance to win? We've had those in the past. Twenty sixteen, obviously, sticks out with Harbaugh. And it just seemed like Brady Hoke, no matter how bad we were with Brady Hoke, we always had a chance to win those games. Mm-hmm. And then once Har- Harbaugh came in, I think the expectation was definitely raised. I mean, it's like everything that Brady Hoke was bad at, Harbaugh seemed to be better at, except being in the game against Ohio State, because Brady Hoke never got blown out in those games. Even the game where he was projected to lose by, I think it was like 19 to 20 points in, in Vegas, we lost by a two-point conversion. It's just like he always had the guys ready, and Harbaugh seems to fall short in that category. Yeah, and you know what, too, is is very interesting to me is, you know, like Greg Madison and Al Washington, who were the coaches that uh, dip-setted Jim Harbaugh and went down to, to Columbus on him, the, the, yes. linebacking, the linebacking and the, and the defensive line coaches, which, real quick, Al uh, uh Greg Madison has been a longtime Michigan assistant in different stints too, uh, back in the nineties and with Brady Hoke. So him shafting Harbaugh like that was obviously an eye over, but I digress. Uh, they always say the players, the coaches, the, the two that I just mentioned, they, they, the rumors are that, you know, Ryan Day and Ruben Meyer, their culture is beat Michigan every day, blah, blah, blah. And 
they're just uh, branded with this hatred towards U of M. And, you know, you think that would be the case, uh, obviously, with both teams. But, you know, Jim Harbaugh was a Heisman finalist uh, at Michigan being a quarterback. He guaranteed a win in his final year and beat Ohio State. So my my question, you know, is 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 he not having the same kind of uh, uh culture at in ann arbor for some reason or i mean i i don't i don't know it just it's very interesting that when they go out there they look sluggish and the 2018 season uh again those last two seasons were blah so my quarterback play argument isn't relevant there but 2018 ohio state stumbled in a week prior to maryland maryland's quarterback had a wide open receiver in the end zone which could have won the game okay who knows what happens then but Ohio State was looking a little bit sluggish on offense. I feel like Michigan was going in 2018 thinking we weather the storm first half, we pull away. And they were playing good. I mean, the revenge tour was sweet. I remember, you know, going back to you talking about what side of the aisle we're on in the fandom. You know, you were biting that hook, line, and sinker, and I was still – I was about to cross over. I almost bought myself a shirt. I was buying into the hype a little bit. I'm like, this could be the year. And then, boom. Getting the just getting your deep pants for sixty minutes. Yeah, it was it was humbling. I mean, a, a team that played with their hair on fire all year, and then you get sixty dropped on you to get humbled. It's yeah, it sucks. It, it truly sucks. And if I if I'm actually if I'm not mistaken, did did they lose the game prior to that week too? Michigan. Yeah. Uh, no, I believe I believe they. I think 2018. Uh, I'll have to. They had to... another loss. They had one other loss in that season. I guess I don't remember where it came. Oh uh, yeah, um, it might have came early in the year. I guess. I guess regardless, that the, the problem and like you just said, I I don't want to get into every single Michigan rivalry because a lot of people beat up on him that he can't beat his rivals. He's honestly owned Michigan State outside of two performances. Yeah, one of which was the the. The muffed punt. Obviously, everybody's seen the play at this point. They had Ohio, or I'm sorry, they had Michigan State completely beat. They needed to punt a ball. They could have actually even downed the ball as, as right there and still probably won the game. But obviously, we know how that one turned out. Right. The other one, they had John O'Corn throwing gift wrapped interceptions. I, you don't have a quarterback play. So of the two losses, both of them actually were at home. Yeah, you can blame Harbaugh there, but he has dominated Michigan State thoroughly in his in his tenure at at Michigan. And on the road, it hasn't been close. He's been pretty much uh, pretty dominant in those games. It, it, you know, the Penn State games. Obviously, we talked about this the other day, just me and you. But like, it seemed like when Michigan's at home, they destroy Penn State. When they're at at Penn State, they get blown out. So it's gone yeah. both ways. It, back to the Ohio State rivalry. It's just like Ohio State's just better right now and it's it's so hard to explain that to michigan fans and i understand wanting better so i guess that poses the question i have to you is like what what would we change what would what could even happen at this point what could michigan even do who would they hire let's right. fire hardball today fire hardball today who are they hiring like i, right. I just, there's not there, an answer there isn't there, and you know that's the thing too is like if you go back to uh 
a lot of folks, uh, real quick, if you guys, Michigan fans or just college football fans in general, go back and, and uh, or go online, get yourself a, a copy of the book Three and Out by uh, John U. Bacon talking about the three years of Rich Rod. When they were doing the coaching search for Rich Rodriguez and even before they got Brady Hoke, um, a lot of coaches turned U of M down. You think that it was like a hot commodity seat to be ahead of the kingdom in Ann Arbor. You know, Jim Harbaugh kind of shoved him aside for a minute there because he was in Stanford. He, you know, long story short, there was a little tiff between him and Mike Hart uh, back in the day. Um, Greg Schiano turns him down. So, like, right now at this point in time, like, if Jim Harbaugh leaves, gets fired, I mean, he ain't going to get fired. He'll step down. There is not anyone out there in the in the coaching tree from U of M or have any U of M ties that would be suited for the job. It would be an outside hire. Um, I mean, John Harbaugh, he's not leaving the Ravens. Um, I think one of Lloyd Carr's offensive coordinators, Mike DeBoard, he's coaching somewhere in the NFL or the college ranks and as a coordinator again. Um, I mean, there's there, I can't think of anybody. So, you know, um, what's his uh, – What's his, What's that analyst that you really like a lot? Um, Colin Clatt. Cowherd? Joe Klatt. Oh, Joe Klatt. I love Joe Klatt, yeah. Okay, I agree with him. He said at the end of uh, one of the games last year before Ohio State, you know, the best – or it might have been actually the, uh, after the Ohio State game. You know, he says Jim Harbaugh is the best coach Michigan can get right now, and he's not lying. But It is. That's be, true. There is definitely not anyone out there that is going to be U of M related that will take this job and fly with it. Les Miles, he – He's getting older. I mean, people don't think he's that old. He's actually getting pretty old. I think he's in his mid sixties. I could be wrong. I mean, he. I mean, uh, but anyways, he's at Kansas right now. I mean, maybe he jumped ship from Kansas. But I mean, is he with would a Les Miles really want to take the the weight of U of M? I mean, by the time he would be able to flip them around, if he did, I mean, he he's going to be you know looking to retire himself. Do you, do you personally think Les Miles is a better football coach than Jim Harbaugh? Because I do not. No. The only reason why I bring him up his name is because he's really the only next one that has U of M ties that is a big name. Yeah, they I would definitely I'm... have to – they would have to look at somebody that's up and coming. And, uh, you know, a lot of Michigan fans were not exactly happy with how Rich Rod came in and changed up the offense and made it spread. And I think we were a little ahead of the time at the, at the point. We weren't playing the correct defensive schemes. And I think Richrod was kind of on to something. Again, noted in that John U. Bacon book, Three and Out, definitely a good read. There, there's, there's things that Richrod did very well. You know, if, if he could have been a, a little bit of a better recruiter and really brought in a defensive coordinator that actually knew what the hell they were doing and not running three three fives in, in college – there's a chance that that probably could have succeeded. But nowadays, like, in order to be a successful head football coach, you pretty much have to run some sort of, like, a spread offense. Even Nick Saban conformed. Right. Like, there's just nobody out there that's winning on a on a high level that isn't doing that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, with Rich Rodriguez, like, he was on to something. Like, the offense, uh, again, with, with Lloyd Carr – on the hot seat and him him dipping out um you know ryan mallet who was a very highly touted quarterback out of high school he was taken over for chad henney while uh, chad henney in 2007 was getting knocked out every game with a knee injury and uh ryan mallet showed some promise there so lloyd carr leaves mallet transfers to arkansas and rich rod t- 
takes over a team with nothing but fifth-year seniors from Lloyd Carr that really never started other than maybe like three defense players and two clipboard-holding quarterbacks, Nick Sheridan and Stephen Threat. So 2008 is a scratch before it even begins. Um, so, again, Michigan is in, a, is in a tough spot, man. They are in a tough spot. And Rich Rodriguez definitely was – the wrong move was three three five in the Big Ten. I mean, you could run the big the three three five, but you need to have the elite players to do it. And I mean, you look at his recruiting classes; his defensive recruits are not that great. I mean, of course, these kids are going to pick Michigan over Miami of Ohio and Bowling Green. Um, you know, I'm, right now I'm looking at the 2010 recruiting class for Rich Rodriguez, and uh, literally the only players on this list that stayed around it was a class of 28 guys i think i think only four of them stayed on to play their their remaining years i mean devin gardner's on here uh colin christian's on here but he transfers so he doesn't even count jabril black is one of them i mean it's the list is not great <laughs> yeah i guess the one thing that i i do want to add is like so clemson their five-year recruiting ranking on average is 10 it's right. under Ohio State's, and they're winning on a massive level. Right. So, and and Debana, they've had their best recruiting class over the last five years is sixth. So, I mean, a sixth is a great recruiting class. I'm not trying to downplay it, but they've also had eight, 10, 16, and 10 again. So, I mean, they, and they've won on the highest level. Now, mind you, should point out, they have had exceptional quarterback play. Exceptional oh, quarterback play. Absolutely. But with that being said, it, it is possible. I guess the last question I have before we, we move on, because we could obviously talk about this for hours, is Michigan close? No. Not close. Not close. Again, like, like five years. Before, yeah, five years. It depends on how Ohio State does. If Ohio State keeps chugging along, the only way you can do that is, is put a, a, a loss on the, on the field and – and start winning recruits over, um, and you got to get yourself a quarterback because the ones that Harbaugh's recruiting, they sit on the bench, they don't make it. And Joe Milton, Dylan McCaffrey, your time, your time's up, man. Speaking of, let we'll make this the last question. If there's a season, hypothetically speaking, there's there could be there's talks at least at this point that there could be a fall season. If Michigan plays it down this year, who do you want to start? Not who do you think will start? Who do you want to start at quarterback? I want Dylan McCaffrey to at least take the spot week one because of experience, solely experience, in the game. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Well, moving on to our next college football topic, and it is extremely debated uh, every year as it gets down late October into November and definitely throughout December. The college football playoffs. So it's currently four teams, one through four, and two of them play in one neutral site. The other two play in a, an opposite neutral site, and then the winners will meet up in the national championship game. Is there a structure or amount of teams that you would like to see moving forward? Well, I don't think it's, the thing is, is about us humans. No one's ever going to be satisfied. Um, you know, I think isn't on record. Jim Harbaugh wants 12 teams. Cause that's okay. never going to, ha that's never going to happen. 
Um, I four doesn't bother me. I think six or eight could be just as good too. I mean, I don't really see an issue of changing it more than eight. I between four and eight, I'm fine with it. But again, you go to eight, inevitably they're going to be like, we should go to twelve. And these are college student athletes, and more football, more football, more football. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? Um, but I'm fine. I, I I could live with it now. And if they go to eight, I could live with it. I guess here's where I'm at. This has always been my number, and I'll explain it here. I want eight, and I have a great reason for it. Okay. Reason number one. They put such an emphasis on winning your conference and playing a tough out-of-conference schedule. And then they don't take five schools. Right. So you, you've won your conference, okay? But that doesn't mean you're in. Right. And then there's another, there's another reason for eight. So a couple of years back, you had, gosh, UCF. UCF, who went virtually undefeated. No, they went undefeated. Yeah, yeah they went undefeated. They even won their bowl game, okay? Yeah, they, they declared themselves mass champ. They okay. declared themselves. They could have very easily in an eight-team playoff been a six, seven, eight seat, whatever seating you want to make it. Okay. And he, so here's my structure. And again, I guess at the bottom half of this, you could definitely start making arguments, but if you did eight teams, you do the five power conference winners. So you have your big 10, your SEC, your PAC 10, you have your big 12, and then you have your ACC. All right. Then it leaves three spots for at large. So a Notre Dame or a UCF or, God forbid, an Army runs the table, whatever it is, okay? Boise State, back in the early 2000s, Boise State was putting up juggernaut teams and was never in consideration for a college football championship, okay? So with that being said, then you have two other teams, okay? And those two other teams could very easily be a runner-up in the SEC. So, for instance... LSU was so dominant in the SEC this year. Was Alabama worthy of being a playoff team? I think they were, especially with a healthy Tua. Okay. You could either, or a Georgia, or whoever you want to put in there. Then you could also put in maybe a Michigan if they have a good year, a Penn State. If, you know, if they're chasing Ohio State just because they finished second doesn't mean they're a bad team. In 2016, was Michigan a playoff team? I think they definitely could have been. They lost to Ohio State in double overtime they very well could have been a playoff team that year. I actually was on record saying that they were probably the best team to match up with Alabama. Was I wrong? I think Clemson beat them that year. But so with the eight teams, okay, that's the structure. But listen, here's my last point with the eight teams. If you do eight teams, the first games, so seat one for uh, the one seed plays the eight seed, right? Yeah. I, I'm on record and saying, and this would be huge for college football, home playoff games. Home playoff games. So you have a home playoff game. You got number one seeded Alabama hosting UCF. Who in the hell isn't tuning in for that? Right. That's a massive game, okay? Then you have number two Clemson hosting Michigan, who barely got in at the seventh seed. Who in the hell isn't tuning into that? Like right. the, the matchups are are endless. And here's another thing. I mean, this this would be absolutely huge. The teams that are benefiting from these playoff games 
are NFL stadiums and college football. Why wouldn't we allow an Alabama, a Clemson, an Ohio State, and who was the other playoff team last year? Oklahoma, right? Yeah, Oklahoma to benefit and host a home playoff game against another team. That's where I'm at with that. So then after that first round, you get four home playoff games. Then they meet in – you only have four teams left. Then they would meet in the two domes. Right. I mean, eventually could get to that, but um, people are always going to want more. So we'll see. Here's in Colin Coward, a guy I really enjoy. He's always argued less is more. You know, he, he always says, like, you always have those jack wagons who are arguing – for the 61st, 62nd, 63rd, and 64th teams to get in the tournament in the NCAA March Madness. It's like, why are we even arguing that? Right. They, they finished in the 60s. Yeah. Like, come on. And, and here's the thing. If your team gets left out of the eighth spot, boo-hoo. Like, boo-freaking-hoo. Let's move on. And, but and I do believe yeah. that a UCF or a Boise State in the past, those teams should have an opportunity. And if Notre Dame, God forbid, that's like a they've I think they've been in the playoffs twice in the college football playoff area, if I'm not mistaken. But they take away from a a Power Five school. Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, so again, I would be cool with six. You do five Power Five and one bubble team. Um, again, I, I I'm I hate to be boring, but I would do four, six, eight. All those work for me, honestly. Yeah, I, eight's always been my max, but it's always the most likely for me, too. I just think that that's the sweet spot. It's just like you have the ability to do it. Everybody wins on this level. Like, nobody's upset that a 10-3 and three Michigan team was the ninth team. Like, right. I, I can't be upset about that as a fan. We lost three games. I can't argue for myself anymore. Like, it's just like... But I, but I also get where I believe year one or year two of the college football era where Penn State won the Big Ten. They won the conference, and then they had to play in the Rose Bowl. Yep. They didn't get a shot. So it's like there needs to be a different structure. Yeah. I just gave you so many instances, UCF, Penn State, uh, Alabama last year, Michigan in 2016. There's been times where that needs to be eight. Yep, and you know, you know, Penn State, they, 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 they beat. Uh, they, was it Oregon or somebody? Uh, in the, Penn State beat Penn State beat uh, USC. Yeah, USC. Yeah, so yeah, they, they definitely could have. I mean, they got they got shafted in a way. Yeah. But the thing is, is the the college playoff committee. They're kind of there's you know I can't go down specific details right off the top of my head, but I know there's been some instances where they're very inconsistent on their quote unquote criteria. They, they fit their narratives. I mean, they're going to try everything in their power to get Alabama in. And, you know, Ohio State fans say that they're not for them, but I think they're for Ohio State too. Yeah. And they're definitely for Clemson. And they want the big schools that are going to perform. You know, it's – I don't know how much longer Oklahoma has when all they've done is lay eggs on the grandest stage. I think they're going to probably be left out next time. Yeah. And, you know, the it, the whole thing is drive, driven by the almighty do- dollar. And – a lot of the hesitation of putting the UCFs in there, the boys of states is because they're afraid that they're not going to perform well. They're not and draw gonna, money. They're not, it's all about money and they're not going to have the fan base to travel very well, yep. you know, as much as an Ohio state or something like that. But you know, when you give those schools an opportunity, they can surprise you. Like the game you're talking about earlier, uh, the 2006 Fiesta bowl, Boise state 
Statue of Liberty beats Oklahoma yes. there. And Oklahoma comes up again. Oklahoma real quick is is notorious for choking in the big game. And that a lot has to do with Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops is always like that coach that could get you there but can't finish. Yeah, I just I, I just I have so many reasons to say eight. And like you just actually just said, you know, if you have a home playoff game, you don't have to worry about UCF's fans traveling. Right. If they win, then I promise you fans will travel because they're like, oh, shit, we actually have a, a squad here that can win a natty. Yeah. We're going to we're going to go to. And here's the thing. UCF ain't too far away from the Georgia Dome, the new Mercedes yep. Dome or whatever. Yep. But with that being said, anything else on that uh, on that topic before we move on? No, I'm good, brother. Okay. We have uh, a couple more topics here, so let's start with uh, favorite games. You know, this one's this one's tough for me. I, I'm, I'll go ahead and start here. Um, Michigan-Ohio State, game of the century. For me, this game was a lot of things. It was like the first time that I was ever emotionally invested yeah. in a football game. You know, at... Uh, 2005 and 2006 were the years that I like started to really catch on with, with football as a, as a kid. And, you know, I just remember the weeks leading up to that game in school, talking all the smack that Michigan's undefeated. And that, you know, it was like the, it was only the second year that I lived in Ohio even. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm still very new to this rivalry because in Michigan, it's, it's, I don't care what anyone says in Michigan, it's definitely more Michigan, Michigan state than it is Michigan, Ohio state. And it just, uh, for me, this game is, is super special. Michigan needed another three minutes in my opinion to pull off what would probably still be today, the greatest Michigan game of all time. And unfortunately it didn't happen, but the, the scoring and, the things to come, like the lottery the next day ended up being the score. And it just so much to this game that makes it memorable. And the amount of talent on both sides of the ball, you know, for me, I, I'll always look back at Michigan's team, Henny, Hart, Manningham, Arrington, Jake Long, Woodley, Leon Hall. Just there's so many guys that I point to and it was like, they started it all for me. They started – they started what's now my my everyday love. So that was that was definitely a phenomenal game, whether whatever side you root for. And if you look back now, I mean, from both teams, I bet you had damn near ninety percent of them players played in the NFL at some point. I mean, there was star stars across the board, and that was. I didn't matter if you had the number one ranked defense or the number fifteenth. That game was going to be a high powered scoring type of uh, type of deal, like it was, and. You know, Michigan unfortunately came up short, and with Bo uh, Bo Schembechler's passing the night before the game, the the feeling in the air was uh, nothing sweeter would have been a Michigan victory, and uh, obviously that didn't happen. But uh, I mean, that was definitely one to remember. Yeah, what do you got? Well, uh, a couple stick out for me. I'm a I'm a former season ticket holder and uh, some of the darkest years in U of M football, so I don't really have any uh, favorites during those times. <laughs> but uh, other than my first game that I ever went to in 04 when uh, Michigan played Iowa, um, the 2005 Penn State Michigan game is far not my favorite game I've ever been to. Um, a good buddy of mine, his dad has had season tickets since the 80s, and he called me up one morning and he's like, "Hey." Uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm just sitting at my dad's house, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like a sophomore in high school at the time. And 
Uh, he's like, get dropped off over here and come to the mission game with me. Uh, so I'm like, all right, cool. I mean, that's not the first time. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we ride up, we tailgate. His tailgate spot's right at Chrysler uh, Arena, so it's spit stone throw away. And uh, so we go in the game, and we're sitting in Section 6, and uh, Penn State was undefeated. You know, Michigan, 2005, ended up finishing like 7-5. They lost to Nebraska in the Alamo Bowl on a kind of a wild ending. Um, YouTube that if you're bored. <laughs> but uh, 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 was Michael Robinson was Penn State's quarterback that year, and that was kind of like the first time Joe Paterno was like really running a legit spread-type deal of offense, kind of, a, kind of a little bit of all over the place. And, uh, you know, Mario Manningham coming late with one second left and winning the game, and, you know, fans are rushing the field, and I got goosebumps. I mean, the, the stadium was electric, and uh, so that one – cemented in my memory for the rest of my life um yeah absolutely incredible moment definitely the top moment of the of the henny era for sure of the mario manningham era just yeah, and, and, and penn state that season uh even with the loss of U, uh, u of m they finished i think 12 and 1 and joe paterno beat um beat bowden and the florida state seminoles in the orange bowl so that was uh that was a good solid penn state team and i mean he's obviously put some some nice squads together after that but uh none like that year yeah next game for me is uh in my opinion one of the greatest football games that's ever been played the 05 what's known as the 2006 rose bowl game but it's the 2005 national championship game texas usc absolutely good one (laughs) absolutely incredible game they show it you know, probably once or twice a year, they'll throw it definitely during football season. They'll throw it on during the week. And if you, if you don't remember the game, go back and watch it. We just talked about the 06 Michigan Ohio state game, having football players all around and NFL talent. It, it, it fails in comparison to Texas USC. Absolute studs all around the, all around the field. Go ahead and Google it. Look it up, watch the game. Vince young takes it in almost at the buzzer and gives USC the loss. It's, Definitely a game that stands out for me. Did you have a second one or? Yes, I did have a second one. Um, and it's the reason why number 86 is my favorite number uh, when it comes to wearing a jersey. And that's Mario Manningham's heroics again. Uh, I, I was trying to come up with another game that wasn't U of M, but another game I was at, it was my first away game, like true away game, because I've been to a couple Mac stadiums, but uh I was at East Lansing for 2007, and you know that's 2007 was the first year I had season tickets. So, uh, so for as many wonderful finishes, I've seen some stinkers in App State. I was there, so that let me forget about that one. But 2007 finished on a high note for U of M. Traveled to East Lansing. It, uh, I mean, it's sure changed the around the area, but uh, it was a great campus and. We tailgated we went up to the game me and my buddy and uh i remember going into the stadium that day and some michigan state fan grabs my mario manningham jersey that i'm wearing and says we're gonna kick your ass and i said i just i had nothing to say for that because so i'd be going to the stadium and uh it doesn't look pretty towards the end of the game and uh michigan gets gets the ball back on the defensive stop and then you know third and long and henny throws a bomb to mario manningham and the entire stadium, you could hear a pin drop in there besides the U of M fans cheering up in the higher upper uh, section of the, the, the place. But 
Um, yeah, so definitely Maury Manningham's got a nice impact on my life <laughs> for sure with those two. For the for the 2007 season, that's probably you could argue that's probably the shining moment. Obviously, the season starts very poorly, lost to Appalachian State. The very next week, they lose to the which nobody understood at the time, the up and coming Oregon Ducks. And yeah. you know they ended up finishing the season off losing. I was actually my first two games ever as a Michigan fan was against Purdue that year. Yeah. And a game in which Henny pretty much left and Ryan Mallett ended up playing most of the game. And then yeah. of course, senior day in Ann Arbor, you know, the loss to Ohio state 14 to three Beanie Wells went for some odd 200. It, it was a rough day, but the, the game against Michigan state on the road was definitely, that was definitely a high point for sure. Yep. And like I said, they finished the season on a high note. They, they get to the Capital One Bowl. They beat Tim Tebow in the Heisman Trophy season. Uh, that that Florida Gator team had, of course, Aaron Hernandez on it. They, that Florida Gator team, constructed by Urban Meyer, was definitely loaded with talent. <clears throat> we will be coming back to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we will be coming back to that. Uh, for players that didn't pan out, you know, that's our that's our next topic here. I bring up Tim Tebow okay. and because for me personally, he's the greatest college football player I've ever seen in my lifetime. He is and the epitome of a college football quarterback. He literally is. And no, it didn't pan out in the NFL. He did have a ton of talent around him. Obviously he had Percy Harvin. He had Aaron Hernandez on the defensive side of the ball. They had spikes. Gosh, Reggie Nelson. Joe Hayden. I, I'm, I'm missing guys. They're, that team was absolutely loaded, coached by Urban Meyer. But, God, this dude happened to rack up 9,000 yards, 88 touchdowns, and only 16 picks, and then ran for an additional almost 3,000 on the ground with 57 touchdowns. <laughs> the dude's unreal. But, yeah. you know, his defining moment in the NFL is knocking off the Steelers in a playoff game, which we can all be excited about. But, you know, it just didn't pan out, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, it's funny how those, it's funny how those things don't translate. And uh, I guess it just came to my head right now was another one that is uh, that never translated to the NFL was uh, Troy Smith from Ohio State, Heisman Trophy winner. Yeah, he goes like the, goes in like the sixth round of the Ravens, and you don't ever hear from him again. You know, fun fun story about him actually. So he actually got to play a little bit for the Ravens. And I think I don't forget who their quarterback was. I want to say it was Kyler Kyle Bowler. Ravens fans yeah. are probably going to get at me, but I'm pretty sure it was Kyler Bowler. They drafted Troy Smith, and something happened to Bowler. Troy Smith came in and played all right, nothing spectacular, probably like Tyrod Taylor numbers. Didn't throw a bunch of picks, but didn't throw a ton of touchdowns. Well, the crazy thing is, the next year they draft Joe Flacco. Yeah. And they were going to play Troy Smith, but Troy Smith ended up getting like the flu. And yeah, and then Flacco comes in, obviously dominates from from his rookie year, and Troy Smith never got to play again. Okay, nice. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So it kind of sucks, but I mean, yeah, that's the way it goes. Things happen, man. And was Troy Smith bad? I guess we don't. We'll never know. But he never panned out in the NFL, and I'd have to assume that they knew what they had in him, and they thought Flacco was better. So. Another one that I that you know 
definitely more modern era as far as uh, recent. Corey Coleman. Oh, my goodness, yep. His 2015 numbers, 74 catches, 1,300 yards, 20 touchdowns was the first pick of the Browns. And I had to – I actually looked this up. I thought he was out of the league. Is he, he still around? He's actually on the Giants roster. <laughs> All right. I, I can't believe it. He hasn't done anything, nothing of of bragging rights. You know, I, I don't even know what his stat line was last year, but it couldn't have been good. But uh, I just thought that was interesting that he might be a practice squad player to be all to be all fairness, but he is technically still on a roster. Okay. So, any other players that you had? Absolutely, I got two for you. And my first one is a five-star quarterback out of high school, uh, ranked one consensus, I think, pretty much uh, that year um, when he was a senior. Is Rhett Bomar? Rhett Bomar was very highly touted coming out of uh, out of prep school, and he goes to Bob Stoops' uh, Oklahoma Sooners. Um, in 2005, he became a starter by the second game. Um, he, he started off pretty rough, but he improved throughout the year. Um, he ended up being the MVP of the Holiday Bowl um, when they beat Oregon. Um, and then in 2006, he was dismissed from the football team because – he was working with an offensive lineman at the time at, um, uh, what was it called? It was called, oh my goodness, Big Red Sports and Imports. And it was run by a uh, Oklahoma booster. And he was getting paid there um, uh, when even when he wasn't there physically. So on the clock, he's, uh, he's punching in hours, but not being there physically. Uh, that's an NCAA violation, of course. Bob Stoop finds out. He gets booted from the team. And then he transfers to Sam Houston State, plays there a couple seasons, um, becomes a starting quarterback. He actually put up some uh, some decent numbers. Uh, I believe he put up uh, the record for yardage there. Um, and I, when, when I, the name came to me before we were doing this, I'm like, man, I remember Rhett Bomar. So I looked him up. I never even, I didn't even, you know, think he even sniffed the NFL. He ended up getting drafted in the fifth round to the New York Giants, was there for two years, uh, got cut, went to the Vikings, got cut again. Then for two, for about a year and a half, he was out of the NFL, and then the Raiders had him on practice squad um, and then didn't make the season. And I think right now he is in the state of Texas where he's from, and he's like a co-coordinator for a high school football team. So went from Walter, Walter Payton Award finalist to All-Southland Conference, to, I mean, being a holiday bowl game MVP, I mean, really having life by the balls and then getting himself uh, with some dirty boosters and then uh, falling out. Um, and then my last one is James White, or not James White, sorry. <laughs> That's for my Heisman. Thought you were going to hit me with that sweet feet. <laughs> <laughs> players, sorry, players that didn't pan out. My second one, I guess, is kind of a iffy one. I don't know if you can really call him a player that didn't pan out, but I don't think a, a player that uh, I guess lived up to expectations. So really, uh, and it's a two-time winning Super Bowl quarterback. Okay, so well, hear me out. The man is name. Uh, the man's name is Jim Plunkett, and I'm a Raiders fan, so he is a MVP of the Super Bowl uh, against. The Philadelphia Eagles uh, in 1981. Um, Jim Plunkett 
was a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at Stanford in 1980. They compared him to, I mean, they said that he was the best pro quarterback prospect that they've ever seen. He gets to uh, the New England Patriots first and yeah. doesn't pan out very well. They give him a few seasons. Then the Patriots draft Steve Drogan. Jim Plunkett gets bounced to the, the Niners, doesn't pan out. But then he goes to the Raiders. Okay, so the Raiders are still in Oakland right before they jump to L.A. And Jim Plunkett, he's got issues throughout his career with interceptions. And he comes in and he subs in for, um, uh, what was his name? Mm, skipping me. Uh, Dan uh, Pastorini. Dan Pastorini gets hurt. He shatters his leg against Kansas City in a regular season game. Jim Plunkett finishes out the year. Uh, and then they defeat Ron Jaworski's Eagles 27-10 to 10 in the Super Bowl. And uh, he's the MVP that year, okay? So the reason why I think he is my never panned out is because he, after that season, gets put back on second string. Um, the next year he becomes uh, out of, comes out of his backup role is in 1983. Uh, that quarterback that year is Mark St- – uh, oh, Jesus. I keep forgetting these guys' name. Uh, where is it at? Gosh darn it. Mark Wilson. I don't know why I keep saying strong. Mark, Mark Wilson. Wilson. Mark, okay. So Mark Wilson uh, isn't playing uh, very highly up to his standards. So Plunkett comes in, takes him to the Super Bowl again. They demolished the Redskins 38 to 9. That was the year uh, Marcus Allen was a Super Bowl MVP. So after that, after those two Super Bowl runs, Jim Plunkett just kind of falls out. Um, and he is, I think, the first Latin American to win the Heisman Trophy winner. And I think the first. Latin American to go uh, high in his draft uh, first overall. So, um, and sorry, it wasn't 1980. It was 1970 was his Heisman Trophy year. He got drafted in 71. So I correct myself there. Yeah, 71, he was the number one overall pick to New England. Yep. So, you know, it's a crazy stat on him. I don't think he's in the NFL Hall of Fame, correct? He's not. He's not. Yeah, crazy stat on him. His touchdown to interception, 164 touchdowns to 198 picks. Yeah, that's exactly why. That's why no one gave him a chance before Oakland. Just a, a turnover machine. And you just know, literally, when he's in college, he's lighting them up, you know? Yeah, just didn't work out. Moving on to our, our next topic here. Uh, you had, did we already talk memorable seasons? Uh, we have not done memorable seasons yet. Okay, what do you have for a memorable season? All right, I'm sure. I, I've condensed this down so I don't blab on for half an hour, but this, we've already touched on it before, uh, a little bit earlier, was the, the 2007 season. Okay, 2007, uh, if you go back and look at what happened that year, it has been some of the most crazy stat lines, some of the most wild games finishes. The top 25 was literally put in a jar and shuffled every week. Um, how we start out the season, obviously, we had Appalachian State beat Michigan at home. Michigan was going in ranked fifth. They returned nearly their entire offense. Yeah, some of their defense went to the NFL. But um, they were like 34-point favorites in that game, and they lose 32-34. Um, and then they drop out of the rankings completely after that week, the farthest uh, Associated Press rank. Uh, or drop ever. Um, we go to week two, 
And Steve Spurrier is just starting a little, uh, I don't want to say dynasty, but starting to turn around the South Carolina Gamecocks. They defeat number 11, Georgia. Then we go to week three. Kentucky defeats Bobby Petrino's Louisville Cardinals, and they had a pretty solid team. Uh, they had uh, Brian Brom at quarterback. If anyone remembers Brian Brom, he actually went to the Green Bay Packers for a while. Uh, I think when Aaron Rodgers went out one season, I think Brian Brom kind of played here and there. Um, go to week four. Michigan defeats number nine, Penn State at home. That was like 14 to like nine. Um, go to week five. And by week five, eight top 25 teams lost. Half of them were in the top 10. So by week five, the college landscape completely upside down. Week five, number 18, South Florida, defeats Rich Rodriguez's number five West Virginia team. West Virginia that year had Pat White, Steve Slayton, uh, you name it, they had them. Um, so that's week five, and it gets better. Week six, we got Stanford. Coming out a one in eleven season in two thousand six, Stanford is forty one point dogs to number one Southern Cal. Jim Harbaugh is the head coach, and he beats Southern Cal in Los Angeles with a backup quarterback. So that is the beginning before he gets himself uh, Andrew Luck. And then we go to week seven. We got number seventeen Kentucky defeating uh, number one LSU in triple overtime. Then we get Oregon State defeating number two, California, that same week. So you got number one and number two losing again. That Cal team had uh, Deshaun Jackson. Then the next week we go Rutgers defeats number two, South Florida. So South Florida, who started their first ever season in 1997, gets themselves to defeat number five, West Virginia, back in week five. Then they go ahead and drop an egg to... Rutgers, who that is Greg Schiano's team with Ray Rice, Mike Teals at quarterback, and uh, a wide receiver that was pretty good that year that didn't make it to the NFL really uh, is Tyquan Underwood. But anyways, uh, Ray Rice goes for 39 attempts, 181 yards. Let me stop you real quick. Underwood actually ended up making the Patriots roster uh, a couple of different times. Nothing ever long term, but he did. Right. He, yeah. Continue. Okay. So you remember that, dude. Okay. Yeah. So then we go to week nine. Matt Ryan, Matty Ices, number two, Boston College, to, with 20 seconds left, defeats Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. Uh, week 10, Florida State then defeats Boston College. <laughs> so following week, Boston College ups and down right there. So Matty Ice is knocked out. That same week, so we have a number one and number two team getting defeated the same weekend again because Illinois – and Ron Zook with Juice Williams goes into Columbus and beats Ohio State, rat number one. And I can't, I mean, I can't ever forget Juice Williams going in there and lighting him up. And Ron Zook, defensive corner, I believe, or yeah, he's a defensive corner, I think, comes from Florida. Urban Meyer takes a spot, and then he takes over Illinois. And I think the, this is pretty much his highlight. After this, I think he gets like two more seasons and he's gone. So real quick, I want to I wanna jump in again. So, first off, I will never forget Juice Williams, ever. <laughs> he ended up tearing up Michigan, I think, the very next season. But the crazy thing is, so my dad doesn't watch a whole lot of college football. He he peeks in and out of, of NFL games. But, you know, 2007, I, I was pretty much locked into everything. If, if football was on, I was watching NFL, college. And I remember my dad watching that game with me. Until this day, he will still bring up Juice Williams. <laughs> Till this day. 
<laughs> I think uh, I think that scene was pretty. I mean, uh, I mean the he's an analyst now for the Big Ten Network, but Jay Layman was their linebacker. He was pretty good in college. They Didn't had, they have uh, Rashard Mendenhall? I think Rashard Mendenhall was there. They also had AJ Jenkins, who. Yeah, Ron Zook took that job over, and he stole AJ Jenkins. Uh, if people don't remember AJ, he was uh, he was the number one wide receiver in the class. Uh, in the, I forget what year it was. It was probably 06 or 05, and uh, he goes to the Niners and doesn't pan out. But yeah, the the Illinois Fighting Illini got the Illabuck. That game between those teams actually has a trophy, and it probably has dust on it because I don't think Ohio State's going to be losing to Illinois anytime soon. <laughs> so going to week 11 we were talking about oregon ducks dennis dixon injures his leg in a, in the in that game they're ranked two they lose um uh i forgot i forgot to jot down who they lost to i, I forget i think it was uh i think it was cal could be wrong so they, that's that's a good point that you brought that up because i brought that up earlier nobody knew when oregon beat michigan that year how good oregon was going to be they were still it was still very early in the in the season, and yeah. everybody thought that was just a back-to-back loss. But actually, Oregon ended up being real good. And with Dennis Dixon, they were elite. Yep. And they had Dennis Dixon. They also had Jonathan Stewart on that team. Yeah, they they were definitely uh, be a force to be uh, force to be reckoned with. And so after he goes down and they lose that game, they uh, they become the fifth second-ranked team to lose in seven weeks. So the one and two spot, again, this season was absolutely just insane. And then in week 13, we go to the Big 12, and Mark Mangino, I don't know if you know who Mark Mangino is. He is was he was the Fred Flintstone before Brady Hoke. He's got the number two Kansas Jayhawks taking on Gary Pinkle's number four Missouri Tigers. So this game is literally control your own destiny, and Kansas loses to Missouri. Uh, that was Actually, a pretty stellar game to watch. Uh, Missouri closed that out with the safety on the quarterback. But uh, side note, the Kansas Jayhawks ended up beating Nebraska uh, back on week 11 uh, or somewhere in the beginning of the season, I actually believe. It was like 76-39. So Kansas had some sort of an offense. And I think really the only notable player on that team that year was Akeem Tlaib. <laughs> but uh, Akeem Tlaib. Akeem uh, Tlaib. Um, and they end up back, Kansas actually had a good season. They end up going on and beating Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl, but uh, that was that was the one and only year they were relevant ever um, in football. Uh, and then last two things: Week 14, uh, the backyard brawl. Pittsburgh defeats West Virginia, who is ranked number two. So Rich Rodriguez faces two losses that season, two losses being in the top five. And uh, Pittsburgh, um, kind of a team that. You know, they can surprise people. And then lastly, we ended out with the LSU Tigers defeating Ohio State in the national championship. So, you would, I mean, that season just top to bottom, just, uh, you know, I, you won't ever see anything like it again. Yeah, you know, I believe, don't quote me, but I'm, I'm willing to bet on this. I'm pretty good with my memory with, when it comes to sports. LSU, every single game they lost that year, did they lose two or three? They lost two. I think they were eleven and two. Uh, so they oh. finished twelve and two, I believe. Okay. <laughs> Both of their losses came in triple overtime. Yeah, they that was that was and that was the year um, where they won a game because they had to run a fake field goal. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of their losses was to 
Arkansas, right? One was K- Kentucky and one was to Arkansas with Darren McFadden. Yes, they lost fifty to forty-eight to the Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah, so I just, just oh, absolutely no, they, wild. Yep, yep. Sorry, yep. They, was was it Arkansas? Yep. I thought so. I thought it was Arkansas. And yeah. And speaking of uh, LSU Alabama, they they beat Alabama on the road that year. But again, the Alabama at that time was not the Alabama we know now. No, no, <laughs> no. They didn't become that Alabama till like. 10, 11, 12, 12 for sure. I think it was 2009 or 2010 when Alabama took off because that was when uh, McElroy's uh, inaugural season was. Because I wasn't McElroy, maybe it was AJ McCarron, but wasn't, uh, I think it was, a, was it McElroy or McElroy? He was the, the quarterback that came out of high school that like never lost a game or mm, something like that. I guess I don't, I don't remember. Maybe it was AJ McCarron. I just I just know that it was like 2009, 2010, because um, you know before Alabama was any good, I think they had a quarterback Brody Croyle who was kind of a, a gunslinger. He ended up going to the Chiefs, but yeah, that was before we knew. One other thing that I don't feel like you brought up, and I, I'm pretty sure it was that season, Colt Brennan. Oh, for, Hawaii, Hawaii for, Hawaii, for Hawaii in 2007 broke the NCAA record for touchdowns Yep, at Hawaii. So, yes. I mean, it, he threw at the time. So it, it, he broke the all-time record, I think, of 131, 131. Maybe it was yards. I don't know. He, he definitely was um, throwing for tons of, tons of touchdowns and tons of yards per game. Ended up getting destroyed by, I believe, it was Georgia and the, and the in the bowl game, but another fun little fact about him. He actually finished third in the Heisman that year. So 2007, yeah. such a fun year. Oh, such a fun year. Yeah. 06 was his, his best year. He looked like he threw 58 touchdowns. That yeah. Year, but, but all three years he played, he played pretty well. And to feel old, I'm looking at his bio right now. It says he's 37 years old. And it's like, holy hell. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? That's yeah. nuts. Well, let's, uh, let's move into, our next topic, and this, I guess, is just kind of for Michigan fans. So we're going to talk our our Mount Rushmore of Michigan football. I have a feeling ours are going to look very similar. We might have one different. I can't imagine that you wouldn't have at least three of the same. But who are who's your four? Let's start there. Well, I feel like you almost – it depends on, two, on the, when you grew up and when you started watching them, I guess, because obviously it's all opinion-based. There's nothing wrong about it, but – I feel like a must is Fritz Kreisler, uh, just because of him being really the kind of like the godfather to to take Michigan to the next level back in the day. Okay, back when Ohio State fans like to remind Michigan fans that we're not going to be re- we're not relevant unless Fritz Kreisler and the 1900 Michigan Wolverines were winning the games. Um, so Fritz Kreisler for sure. Um, then I have to go Bo Schembechler because. Bo was literally the face of the block in even years after his passing. Um, and then I got to go two players, uh, Charles Woodson, of course, and Desmond Howard. Uh, they have, um, you know, obviously the two most iconic plays ever in school history. And then I don't want to do an honorable mention, but I feel like if you're watching the, the Wolverines in the 80s, in the 70s, 80s, you grew up in that range, I think you got to go Rick Leach because Rick Leach, had a lot of records set before Chad Henning and Jake Rudock came in. 
Okay. So I went a little different than you did. I did not use coaching or anything like that. Okay. Um, I, I just went four players. Okay. Number one is without a doubt, Tom Harmon. Okay. Who, I mean, the first ever Heisman Trophy winner at Michigan, he won it in 1940. So way before my days, he was the number one overall pick in the 1941 draft. I mean, he was literally the greatest player in college football when he played, played a lot of different positions, mostly halfback. And wore the 98, which a lot of the newer fans seen when Devin Gardner repped it just a couple of years back. Puke. <laughs> Puke, for sure. Uh, number two, Desmond Howard. Uh, okay. ob- the obvious. Uh, another Heisman Trophy winner at Michigan. Number three, another Heisman Trophy winner in the final, Charles Woodson, um, the only defensive player to ever win the Heisman Trophy. And then, you know, this one was this one was a tough one, but I, this is where I thought we were going to differ. But I actually went Anthony Carter. Okay. You know, Anthony Carter, one of the best wide receivers in Michigan history, played very well, um, highly touted out of his days in college football. And he's a legend when it comes to Michigan football. You know, if I were, if I were to throw one Jersey, if I would, yeah, exactly. I mean, he is literally the original number one and, you know, in, in 1980 probably had his best season, 800 yards, 14 touchdowns, but all around all four years, seven touchdowns, 14 touchdowns, eight touchdowns, eight touchdowns. I mean, great player at Michigan, all American three different times. Uh, Big Ten most valuable player. Just an absolute stud. One of the greatest players to ever put on a jersey. But if I were to throw an honorable mention out there and if I was doing coaches, I, I think I'd probably have to throw Fielding Yost in there too. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, some pro- probably the greatest player that's ever come out of Michigan that that didn't have the greatest career, obviously, would be Tom Brady. I, a lot of people who listen to this pod be like, Jeff didn't say Tom Brady. Well, you know, Tom Brady had a, a good career at Michigan, but nothing to, to scoff over, nothing to brag about. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, but to go back to the Anthony Carter thing, like, look at that. Look at his, I mean, his yards, 800 yards. I feel like that translates to, like, 1,300 now because back then they're running the ball 50 times a game. So Absolutely. I Absolutely. Like those numbers are ridiculous in his time. No, 100% agree. And the crazy thing about about Anthony Carter, and I, I'm not well versed in this in this topic, but he's he's not in the NFL Hall of Fame and probably should be because he played in he didn't play in the NFL until they like merged. He played in like the the USFL or something like that. Or, okay. Like I, you'd have to go back and look, but he's only a three time Pro Bowler in the NFL. But because he spent he spent like three or four years in the USFL before it became a thing. So uh, just in the NFL alone, he had 55 touchdowns. Think what he could have done potentially in his more prime years. I don't know. I, uh, I think he probably definitely could have been a Hall of Famer. He's definitely one of the greatest receivers in Michigan history and definitely an underrated NFL player. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, we uh, – I don't have anything else to talk about. What about you? I'm good, man. I think I think it was kind of cool, man. We got to we didn't focus solely on Michigan, which is a hard thing for us not to do. Yeah, uh, but yeah, um, it was cool. It was cool talking about uh, some of the players that kind of sparked in my head that I haven't really heard from in a while, and 
So it's always it's always cool to 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 get on a computer and be like, you know, whatever happened to that Brett Bomer? Whatever happened to that? Uh, you know, I mean, well, I would say Tim Tebow because we know what he's doing now. But you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, the the one thing is, is everybody typically would be preparing for their favorite college football team to play this weekend, and unfortunately, that's not going to happen. And we just wanted to kind of throw a throwback out there and reminisce about the good old times of uh, all college football. You know, not just Michigan, and obviously that's who we like, but we kind of threw out some other ones in there too. So uh, with that being said, find where can everybody find you on social media? Well, uh, on Twitter, I mostly do a lot of trolling. Uh, I have an extensive list of people, uh, celebrities, athletes who have me blocked. So if you guys are in for a good time or uh, just wanted to see me um, talk a little smack, I mean, Nothing crazy. Uh, I'm at MazeRage86 on Twitter, M-A-I-Z-E-R-A-G-E 86. Um, and then I also have a Facebook uh, page that we do daily contests, uh, raffling off, um, in a sense, uh, mystery boxes of authenticated certified memorabilia. Um, so if you go log on to Facebook and type in Fabled Sports Breaks or Fabled Sports, uh, you can... Uh, click join. We'll ask you some questions before you uh, for, before you hop in. And um, so, yeah, you want to jump in, spectate, play. But it gives you an opportunity, like I said, a daily contest to try to win um, low cost uh, to you uh, for a shot of really high value uh, items. Uh, if you want to go to Instagram, uh, you can go to fabled underscore sports underscore breaks. And that kind of gives you like a grid type format to see all the pictures, all the hits we call them are uploaded there. So instead of scrolling through uh, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, cluster F of a timeline, you can go to Instagram and kind of look there, but um, yeah. Uh, You know, something he didn't touch on guys, you know, this, this fabled sports break page has pulled some of the hottest items signed by your favorite athletes, multiple Tom Brady helmets, NASCAR helmets, baseball helmets, baseball bats, baseballs, NFL balls, NFL jerseys by your favorite athletes, NBA stuff, pretty much does it all. Even UFC gloves now. Give the page a check it out. And I'll tell you what, typically you'd be like, I can't afford to buy an autographed memorabilia item. This gives you the outlet to potentially be able to afford it at a very low cost in a lottery system. So, yeah, with that said, Yao, that was was entertaining. We could do that again. Absolutely. Yeah, we can – Again, we can always we can always scrum up a topic of uh, of college football again and, and, and chit chat about it for sure. I'll be down. I uh, I hope to God we have a season. Let's pray. We can only pray, and hopefully, in sometime in October, we're talking about uh, Michigan winning a natty this year, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. Thank you for coming on. Absolute pleasure. I'll see you next time. All right, see you, my man.